from Charter Hall and Banish, this is Sustainability Further. I'm your host, Lottie DL. You're listening to Sustainability Further, a podcast by Charter Hall. One of Australia's leading property groups, Charter Hall is focused on creating innovative spaces and going further to build a better future for all. Dr. Britta Denise Hardesty is a Senior Principal Research Scientist at CSIRO's Oceans and Atmospheres. She has been researching plastic pollution for over the last decade. And in this episode, we explore the role that key stakeholders play in tackling this mammoth issue. So thank you so much for joining me today. First of all, I wanted to ask you a question that I ask every single one of our guests, and that is, what does sustainability mean to you? That's such a good question. Sustainability means to me, well, in the context of plastics, it actually means designing with a legacy mindset. And more broadly, I suppose, sustainability means thinking about life in what we use and what we choose in ways that ensure perhaps the least carbon intensive and longest lived approaches so that we can improve and have quality now and into future generations, perhaps. And I realize there's a lot of pausing in there as I'm just trying to think about it and think about that in a considered way that hopefully is somewhat reflective of what my actual thoughts are on it. I mean, sustainability is a really big and broad topic, but to me it's really thinking about now and the future in a really considered, thoughtful way, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And I really love starting the podcast with this question because it is this term that's kind of thrown around so often and so frequently, but there isn't a set definition and it can mean so many different things to people. But I think it's so important for us to consider the fact that the decisions that we make now need to be right for us in the present tense, but also considering those future generations. So I was wondering if you could share a couple of key insights on the current state of marine pollution, particularly plastic pollution and the impacts that it has on marine ecosystems and wildlife. So what do we know about the state of plastic pollution? Well, our plastic production globally is increasing around the world. And we actually say now that it's increasing at a rate of around every, it's doubling every 11 years. And so what that means is in the next 11 years, we will as a global community have made as much plastic as has been made since plastic production began in earnest in the 1950s. And so even if we're only losing a couple percent of plastic into the environment each year, because we're making more and more of it, we're still losing more and more plastic into the environment. And what we know is that plastic affects animals because they mistakenly eat it or they get tangled up in it and there's potential risk of chemical contamination from it. And we know more and more about the number of different species that are affected by plastic. We know that it's found in everything from table salt to beer to water that we drink. You know, we also hear stories that 
it's in our fish species that we're eating. You know, if it was me, I would be less worried about other contaminants than plastics in my fish. In Australia in general, we remove the digestive tract of the fish, so it's not as much of an issue. But I think people are starting to appreciate and to understand that our plastic is everywhere all the time and that it's growing. And so people are increasingly wanting to understand what can I do, what difference can I make, and should I be nervous or concerned about it? And I think those are some of the questions that come to people's minds. One of the exciting things that's happening in Australia is that the federal government has a national plastics plan They're making strides to address plastic pollution here. We are working with partners around the country to put all the information in one central location that hopefully then people can ask questions of it and understand the state of knowledge within Australia. You know, and then Australia and the countries of the world are working together to really try to address plastic at the entire life cycle of it. Um, and the plan is to have a legally binding resolution as part of a United Nations treaty. And so there's a lot of work that's coming up and focusing on that particular topic at the moment. So with all of your work that you're doing at the moment, you're chasing a, I'm going to say, rather ambitious goal, which is an 80% reduction in plastic waste entering our environment by 2030. What does your work involve? So my work towards that goal is really around measurement and management. And I suppose for me, that means understanding people and decisions as well. So we can talk about the science geek that I am, that I go out and I help people understand how to measure things. And we go out and collect data and then we analyze it and then we report back. But it's actually really trying to understand the human component and the business component and the government component and the community component and the societal component of these things. Because if we really want to shift the dial, what we need or what we want to do is to understand what drives the way that people act. And because people actually form businesses and people form governments and people form communities and people are really powerful. And I think that's something that hopefully you are seeing and learning in this year with your fantastic acknowledgement of your achievements and what you're doing, that people and individuals really do matter. And so what I'm trying to do with my team is to provide information so that we can support groups, individuals, governments, etc., to make decisions based upon knowledge. At the same time, I'm aware that people and communities and governments make decisions based upon perceptions and that sometimes as we see so much in today's society, there can be quite a disconnect between what the information or the data actually tells us and how people feel about things and the decisions that we as individuals and communities actually make. Now, I think it's a really fascinating kind of, I don't know, opportunity that you've got because you are kind of trying to it's almost like you're this matchmaker. You're trying to matchmake the science with the organizations, with the governments, with the different industries to kind of come together for the common good and this big cause. But it's a difficult task. So in some ways it is. And on the other hand, it's also really exciting and really heartening. So 
what I've seen in the time that I've been working in this area is a fundamental or a profound shift in people's appetite and interest in this area. And so where a decade ago, people were not so interested and focused on plastic and, you know, what does this mean in our world and in our lives? We've seen such a shift in that and we've seen such an appetite from the public, you know, as even indicated by podcasts like these that want to talk about this, that actually want to understand what's going on, that want to address this issue. And so, you know, while yes, there is a lot to consider really daunting in it, on the other hand, there's so much appetite and there's so much that we can do. And we're seeing such rapid changes in society and in technology and in opportunities that it's a really exciting time to be working in the space. And for me, I feel really warmed by the fact that people are so interested in the work and that people actually are increasingly wanting to listen to the science and wanting to hear from scientists to help us as a community, as a, not just a local or an Australian community, but even as a global community, to hopefully make decisions that will support us in better ways to a healthier, happier, more sustainable, more equitable, more just society now and into the future. No, I think it is really amazing. And you're right, it is very exciting. So I just want to really touch on the role that science and research plays in informing these policies and strategies for marine conservation. So what are some of the kind of the key findings from your research on this? Well, I suppose one of the really, I would say, kind of important or exciting findings that we've had is we did some work around the country, you know, around a decade ago where we went every 100 kilometers around the continent, just about, um, and everywhere that we could access, and we collected data on the coastline of Australia around coastal litter. And then we reached out to different councils around the country some of them in areas with lots of litter, some of them in areas with less litter, some of them in urban areas, some of them in more rural areas, some where there's lots of resources, some where there's fewer resources. And we asked a series of questions around so that we could actually understand not just what are the patterns that we see, but what's behind the patterns at the local council level. And then we went back, and this work was led by an amazing PhD student of mine, Kathy Willis, and and. When we went back and actually did surveys six years later and then queried council six years later, we actually showed that there was an up to or an average of 29% decrease in coastal litter around Australia. And so like that's huge, right? Almost 30% in change and decrease in six years. It doesn't mean every beach, every site around the country is quote unquote cleaner. Some areas are certainly dirtier, but some areas are much, much cleaner than that. And that's a really heartening finding in this like present day time. And so, you know, for me, it's really cool to be able to participate in research that demonstrates this sort of thing and actually gives a number. You were pointing out before, like, wow, what a bold, audacious goal to try to support an 80% reduction of plastic losses to the environment by 2030. Well, we've got some evidence that suggests we may be, you know, more than a quarter of the way there. So, you know, that's pretty exciting. That is really, really exciting. I feel like I get constantly asked by people every day who are like, you work in sustainability. It must be so depressing. It must be so hard and difficult. 
But hearing kind of statistics like that really give me hope and inspiration because it is going, no, this is working. We are pushing the needle. We are pushing the dial and it is changing. Do you know kind of from this research that was undertaken, some of the factors that led to this decrease in ocean litter? So I think the thing that we were really trying to do is not just show, is there a pattern or is there not a pattern? And if there is, what is it? but was to do that, to kind of look under the hood a little bit deeper and to try to get at the why or what's different. And what we find is that in Australian communities, people really want to do the right thing. And so when there's the infrastructure and the facilities available, people will take advantage of them. So when we make it easier to recycle, people do recycle. When there are bins and there, so and bins count as infrastructure, then people actually use them. And so people, what we find is that their attitude suggests they really want to do the right thing. And the easier we can make it for people to do the right thing, the more likely they are to do that. And so we were looking at it through a lens of what can be done to help facilitate, what helps drive people's behavior. And what we're really seeing is that make it easy for people to do the right thing and they will do it. And again, I think that's really heartening. I think it is. It's it's great to see. And it's almost like, yeah, just hand it to them on a silver platter and they will do the right thing, as you just said, and they will kind of take those extra steps. So what are kind of some like successful examples, I would say, of collaboration between industry, government, community. Is it the recycling bins on beaches or what have you seen is, would you say, is a really, yeah, a successful, a collaborative successful example? Well, I think to me, actually, one of the really recent changes or, you know, and this really does involve industry, government and communities is the uptake in container deposit legislation. And so that's something that's coming from a legislative framework within the jurisdictions, but then we need to have industry and businesses on board so that we have reverse vending machines and things like that. And some of our previous work also showed up to a 40% reduction in beverage-associated waste on the ground in the jurisdictions. So, you know, at the time that was South Australian NT, where we do have CDL or container deposit legislation or cash for containers or, or buyback programs. And I think that's a really good example that we're also seeing is that we know is quite effective, you know, research in Australia and, you know, we did some comparative work in the United States as well, shows that that's really effective. And again, what we're seeing is actually quite a low incentive, so 10 cents per container, and that hasn't changed in decades in the jurisdictions that had it decades ago. Um, What we do see is that that sort of thing really works. And so why or how does that reflect a partnership to me? Well, we need to have the businesses on board. We need to have industry on board. You know, we are seeing a variety of different tools and approaches to help make that happen on the ground, if you will, within the different states and territories. And we're starting to see that come along in all the different jurisdictions around the country. And so while that was led at the state level, we're starting to see, and hopefully we'll see into the future, a real national reflection of those policies. No, I think we are starting to kind of see it. And I remember when we caught up the other day, we were talking a lot about the container deposit schemes in particular in New South Wales and their recent success too. And now their further expansion, not only just 
from near our coastlines to also remote and rural communities, which I think is really great to see. I think it's really great to see, and I think you're raising a really important point about not forgetting our communities that are further afield. We really need to make sure that we support and enable our more rural and remote communities to have the infrastructure and the resources that they need to be able to do the right thing as well. I think those are really important community groups and we need to make sure that we have the systems in place because people in those areas want to do the right thing just as much as people in our city centres. Exactly. And it is one of those things I feel like out of sight, out of mind. And it comes back to the same thing as well with protecting our oceans. So many people say, well, like, if you don't see it every day, you don't want to protect it. And I'm going, no, you do. Everybody wants to protect our oceans or it could be a different type of waterway that they're looking to protect. It could be a river or a stream or a dam or something like that as well. So I think hopefully in the future we will see better access for those communities as well through so much research that's going on, including the work that you're doing. I really love the term from your website, which is a coordinated response across sectors, which we've spoken a couple of times in this podcast episode already. But I really want to talk and kind of give some tactile, I don't know, tips and tricks for how businesses and organizations can walk away from listening to this episode, feeling empowered to play their part in this. So for me, I love that idea and I think it is really important. And I think the thing that comes to my mind is that it is smart business to look through your business lens, including or encompassing or making as a fundamental tenant sustainability, right? It's just good business. We ultimately use fewer resources, spend less money if we design well, if we look into the future with what we design and implement in all of our businesses in, you know, really across the supply chains and no matter what it is. And so even if we look at the role of transportation networks and if we send trucks back with waste or with plastic that, you know, from products that were purchased in a in one part of the country to another part of the country, if we look at how do we reduce our water usage in business practices, if we look at how do we lightweight and make sure that we have safe, effective packaging, if that's what we're doing, if we look to see that products that we're using are harvested sustainably, and if we're thinking about the future and what may be the next life of that product, you know, all those sorts of things are actually really smart business practice. Those will give a competitive advantage. They'll end up costing less, even if they might look like they cost more in the first instance. If we look at it from that perspective, then we're able to save money, do better works for our people, our communities, our business, and the environment. It's a no-brainer. No, it is true. And I'm sure when you were kind of getting into this or first starting your research over a decade ago, there wouldn't have been this business case for sustainability. Whereas now, as you say, it just makes good business sense to be incorporating it and just adding it into that almost like your code of ethics. It's kind of how your people like protecting your people, but also our planet as well is such a crucial part of this. And I think people are willing, especially in a country like Australia, where we are a privileged country and where we have really great conditions around us, 
I think people are willing to pay more for a product that aligns with their ethos, that aligns with their values. And so I think it's smart business to be considering and to really implementing the programs, the practices, and the structures and the products that are designed with an equitable and ethical approach to them. And, you know, I think people will invest in that and that they will support companies and enterprises and businesses, you know, if it's a refill system, if it's a getting a break when you bring your own coffee cup, you know, those sorts of things may seem small, may seem large, but they really do make a difference and they allow people to enact and support companies that align with their values, with their purchasing power. And that's a really important place that we as consumers can play and where businesses can target as well. No, I think you are right there. And I think there's been some really great research as well that's come out, which is kind of saying in your way to kind of attract not only staff, but also key partnerships with the other businesses, it is having a strong, credible sustainability um, message and ethos as well. I think that's really true. And I think it needs to not be something that's lip service or just on a website. It really needs to be embedded into the company's values and into the products and into the ethos. And as you said, really into the company culture. Exactly. And I think it's is one of those things that can feel quite overwhelming. It's difficult to know even where to start with it, but I think just starting is the best thing and acknowledging where your business is at in that journey and being really transparent is great. I agree wholeheartedly, and I think that word transparency is really important in this. You know, I think it's also important to acknowledge what we don't know or what we're not doing, but what we're trying to do. Everything is an evolution, and we need and want to do the best we can with the information that we have at the time. And I think, you know, acknowledging that as our knowledge increases, we'll be able to do things better, smarter in the future. But I think we want to make sure that we don't wait for perfection to make some of those decisions and that we go ahead and start moving with good intention and good ethos and good practices behind us. No, you are very, very wise. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It has been a pleasure. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. This conversation is part of Charlie Hall and Banish's podcast series, Sustainability Further. This series has been designed to inspire Australians to be more environmentally responsible and to take climate action. Sustainability Further is produced by Banish. Charter Hall's purpose is to create better futures by bringing aspirations to life.